You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Brad Biggerstaff. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. And now, let's meet Midway. I want to thank the band and especially... uh, Judy for playing. Uh, Jane is away serving at a walk to Emmaus retreat this weekend. We have about a dozen women at the retreat this weekend. Uh, One is a pilgrim, the rest serving. And uh, so we have a good representation there. Uh, Leslie said, I picked a hard scripture. Actually, I didn't pick it really. We've been following the lectionary. For those of you who don't know, that's a three-year cycle of readings um, that kind of help us stay honest and not skip over the hard parts of the Scripture, right? And so sometimes some difficult ones come up that we have to tackle, like this morning's. So our Scripture lesson comes to us as we continue in the Gospel of Luke, the 21st chapter, beginning with the 5th verse. You're now God's word to us this day. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's been dubbed the great fire of 2019. I'm not referring to the unprecedented fires this summer in the Amazon, nor those 
in California. What I'm referring to is the blaze at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris on Monday of Holy Week this year. The world seemed to hold its breath as the flame shot up from the ancient cathedral just days before Easter was to be celebrated and then let out a collective sigh of relief when the whole structure didn't completely implode on itself. What remained, though, of the cathedral was without its trademark spire. It was a shadow of its former glory. You know, I was surprised at the world's reaction to the Notre Dame fire. After all, ours is a secular age. Why such grief over this particular church's demise? It's beautiful, without question. One of the greatest tourist attractions of the world. You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate its glory. But I wondered, how is it that peaceful protesters can be beaten to death, hundreds lose their lives in violence in our schools and streets and in conflicts around the world, thousands die by famine, and they barely get a mention on the evening news. Yet the outpouring of concern across the globe for the cathedral was almost immediately. The world opened its coffers and began throwing money into the collection plate for the rebuilding of the Notre Dame Cathedral. It was Jesus' last act of his public ministry. He was teaching his disciples in the temple in Jerusalem when he spoke to them of its demise. His followers could have hardly imagined such a thing could come to pass. It was that great builder, Herod's finest achievement. The temple was the center not only of Jewish religious life, but also its economic and political power. It was erected as much as a monument to Herod's glory as it was to God's. How could such an impressive, imposing edifice, constructed of massive stones and pricelessly adorned, come to naught? It defies the imagination of those who worship there in Jesus' day, much as I suppose we could hardly have imagined the collapse of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center prior to 9-11. As the disciples looked at the temple mouths agape like country come to town that they were, did they really believe Jesus when he spoke of its demise? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. You know, last Sunday I told you about how Roswell Methodist Sanctuary was burned to the ground by an arsonist when I was a child. And that scene is still etched in my memory. 
standing at the edge of the devastation on the morning after the fire, my father and I looking through the wisps of smoke still ascending from where the sanctuary used to stand, where there were now just a pile of smoldering ash and debris. Not one stone will be left upon another. For Luke's readers, it was not a matter of belief that such a thing could come, come to pass. For them, Jesus' words about the temple were not so much a prediction about what was going to happen as they were a reflection on what had already occurred. For when the good doctor wrote his gospel, he did so around 85 AD, a good 15 years after Titus and the Roman legions destroyed the temple and laid waste to the city. You know, today one can stand outside the walls of the ancient city and still see where those giant stones came to rest in a heap of rubble. The temple's destruction, though, is only the beginning, says Jesus, just the tip of the iceberg. Along with its demise, false prophets will rise up, followed by wars and insurrections, then natural disasters like earthquakes and famines and plagues. And as his followers are trying to wrap their mind around this awful news, Jesus adds, there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if you do. But it sounds very ominous to me. Like something is going to pass beyond humanity's comprehension. Clearly, Jesus is not just predicting the end of the temple or even the end of Jerusalem, but the end of the world as we know it, an apocalypse. Now, when we think of apocalyptic scripture, we tend to think only of that last book of the Bible, the Revelation of John. But Jesus has his own revelation. That's what apocalypse means, revelation. And it's found not only here in Luke, but also in Matthew and Mark. I wonder how those first century Christians heard Jesus' words describing the end times. I suppose they heard him much as we do. All this rubble and trouble sounds like humanity's worst nightmare come to pass. We'd rather not think about it. But Jesus isn't done delivering his revelation. Like a bad late night infomercial, he continues, but wait, there's more. Before all this takes place, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. 
All this rubble and trouble has gotten personal now as he tells the disciple what's going to happen to them. But don't be afraid, says Jesus, because this is going to give you an opportunity to testify. Oh, great. Arrested, imprisoned, dragged before religious and political rulers who will decide our fate. But this is good news because it is going to give us a golden opportunity to testify. I can hardly wait, can you? You won't need to prepare ahead of time, he continues, because I'm going to give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand. Well, there's that. At least he promises to be with us in the midst of our suffering and put the right words in our mouths. But wait, he's still not done. There's more. Your family's going to betray you, and even your friends. Some of you will die, and all of you, all of you will be hated. But don't worry, because not a hair on your head is going to be harmed. Well, that's awfully reassuring, isn't it? You're probably going to be killed, but at least every head on your hair is going to be in place. In other words, at least you'll look good as you're meeting your fate. If you knew my husband, you'd know that he was, he's very particular about his hair. He likes his jet black wavy hair perfectly coiffed. And there have been more than a few times when leaving for some important anxiety-producing engagement, I've kissed him goodbye and, and tried to lighten him up by joking, the important thing is, your hair looks good. <laughs> it does, doesn't it, he said. <laughs> As he stands up straighter and musters his courage. Not a hair on your head will perish, by which Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but not the soul. And yet, him telling us not to be afraid doesn't automatically make us feel fearless, does it? We are admittedly a fearful lot, are we not? Fearful of our collective and personal futures. And why shouldn't we be? Impeachment hearings, divisiveness, rumors of the denominational demise, churches closing left and right. And there's our personal fears, you know, of our financial, familiar physical being. Is it any wonder we are reticent to give a testimony? 
Shoot, most Christians I know are afraid of giving the blessing at the church-wide dinner, much less giving a personal testimony to the transforming power of God's love and grace in their lives. Audre Lorde was a poet and civil rights activist. She also battled cancer for 14 years before her death. Her most famous words are, your silence will not protect you. Your silence will not protect you. She said it takes courage to speak, and she spoke of the necessity to do so. In her poem, A Litany for Survival, she wrote, When the sun rises, we are afraid it might not remain. When the sun sets, we are afraid it might not rise in the morning. When our stomachs are full, we are afraid of indigestion. When our stomachs are empty, we are afraid we may never eat again. When we are loved, we are afraid love will vanish. When we are alone, we are afraid love will never return. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak remembering that we were never meant to just survive. We know that what Jesus says is true, that one day all of this, all of this could come crashing down. In fact, it already did. A tornado tore through this corner of God's kingdom and left not one board of the chapel upon another. And you know what Jesus' followers did? They took those pine trees that had been snapped off by the whirlwind and sawed them into new boards, nailed them together, and raised a new church in the same spot where the old one had stood. It was the church's way of testifying, of saying to the world that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The word that was God and is God will have the very last word. When the Babylonian exiles returned in the 6th century B.C., they came back to the great city of Jerusalem and found nothing but rubble in its place. And in the middle of that dark, depressing scene, it seemed to be the bitter end. The prophet Isaiah stood upon the debris and declared, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. Be glad and rejoice. 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. So my brothers and sisters, when your world seems to be crashing down around you, and all you know is rubble and trouble, don't be afraid. It may just be a golden opportunity for you to testify that God is about to do a new thing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.